chapter 2, verse 14, is where we will start. We talked about the fact in the last few verses that we are brothers with Christ, that Jesus is proud to call us brothers, that we are children of God, that the kind of the main theme throughout this that we've looked at for the last few weeks is the idea that Jesus is better than the angels, but not only is Jesus better than the angels, but, but even we as human beings, as sinful human beings, are, are better than the angels. And that's what we're going to see in this text today. So, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, we'll read through the text, then we'll pray, and we'll get started. Now, since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these so that through his death he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. For it is clear that he does not reach out to help angels, but to help Abraham's offspring. Therefore he had to be like his brothers in every way, so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, to make propitiation, for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tested and has suffered, he is able to help those who are tested. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you today and I pray that your word would be good to us today, that we would hear it, that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts, that we would be free of distractions, whatever distractions or fears or worries or, or even good things that may be on our mind, dear Lord, that we may have brought into this place that you would block those things out, that we would hear your word today, dear Lord. I pray that we would trust in you, that we would recognize the greatness of who Jesus is and the power that, that he holds because of his death and resurrection, because of his life to be a servant, dear Lord, to come and to do your will and be obedient to you, dear Lord. God, there's great power that comes through Jesus because of those things. And I pray, God, that today that we would find the power of of life that comes through Jesus, dear Lord, that we would not live in fear of death, God, that we would know that Jesus is one who can relate to us, who understands our struggle, dear Lord. So let us seek Jesus today. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 14, Now since the children have flesh and blood in common. Now we talked about those who are children of God, the last few verses we looked at in Hebrews, that we who have put our faith in blood, or excuse me, have put our faith in Jesus Christ have become children of God through the precious blood of Jesus Christ who gave his life for us. And what does it say of humanity? What does it say of the children of God? The children have flesh and blood in common. So that's a commonality. Every human being that has ever been born has flesh and blood in common. That's a, a uniqueness to humanity. That's not true of the angels, but that is true of humanity. And the problem with our flesh and blood that we have in common is that it is, it is led to sin in our life. Now, we weren't created sinful. Sin was a choice that Adam made, that Eve made. They chose to be disobedient to God. It is a choice that you and I continue in. There are days that we are disobedient to God and sinful. Probably every day. Maybe there's a day here and there that we manage to do good all day. Maybe those days that we sleep all day were without sin. I don't know. But most days, if not every day, 
We are sinful human beings. That's, we, are, we, we have that in common, that we have flesh and blood and we have sin. And so that's what's being established here. Jesus also shared in these. Okay, there's significance here. We as human beings are sinners. And so the significance to that is Jesus came and also became humanity. Not to be a sinner like you and I, but so that he would not be a sinner. So we have flesh and blood in common, and because we have flesh and blood in common, and because we are sinful as humans, Jesus took on flesh and blood. He became man. The Son of God came to this old world and took on flesh and blood just like you and I and had the same sufferings and the same struggles and the same types of trials and the same pains that you and I have. Now, some would argue, and I think wrongly, that, okay, well, Jesus came, he was the Son of God, and even though he was in a fleshly body, he didn't feel things like you and I. He just came and he did his part, he suffered, but, but he really didn't suffer. He was nailed to a cross, but, but he didn't really feel any pain. Now, I would say that that's crazy. I would say that if Jesus would have come and did not suffer, I'm talking about suffering the way we think of suffering, then, then the sacrifice of Jesus would not have been sufficient. What made the sacrifice of Jesus sufficient is not that he was a man who didn't feel no pain, who was nailed to a cross. Anybody could do that. But it was the fact that Jesus, who was the Son of God and became fully man, suffered the same pain as you and I. He suffered the heartbreak of friends who betrayed him and all of the things that he sees in this world that you and I see. Jesus <coughs> suffered those things. And as he suffered those things, he continued to go through with what God had called him to do. Uh, called him to do. In the midst of his pain, and the midst of his suffering, Jesus took it for you and I. When he was nailed to that cross, Jesus felt pain. Jesus felt suffering. Jesus knew what it was like to experience pain like you and I experience pain. And that's what makes Jesus so unique. That's what makes him perfect. That's what makes him the Son of God. That's what makes him the Savior, is that he did the things in the flesh that you and I could not do. And that's the problem. In the flesh, we are sinners. Now, God desires to forgive us. He desires that our sins are forgiven. But there's no way that that can occur apart from Jesus Christ. So we in the flesh as sinners is what led Jesus to say, I will come into the flesh so that I can live a sinless life on their behalf. Because you and I can't do it. You say, oh, I, I, I'll try. Well, try. Please do. Try the rest of the day to live sinless. Maybe you make it. Try tomorrow. It will not be long until our life will be filled with sin, as it already is for each of us that sit in this room. And so Jesus came onto the scene, and he said, I will take on flesh and blood, as they have, but yet I will live the life that they cannot. Where they are disobedient to God, I will live in obedience to God. So the children have flesh and blood in common. Jesus also shared in these, so that through his death he might destroy the one holding the power of death. Now that's our problem right there. Death is our problem. The wages of sin is death. When you eat of the fruit of this tree, God says you will die. Now, Adam and Eve were disobedient to the commands of God. And guess what happened? They were in the garden. They were in, in the presence of God. And they, they communed with God. And all was beautiful and all was well until they said, we think that there's something better than God. 
We think that when this serpent came and said, hey, you need, to, you need to try this fruit and you'll be like God, they determined that that was better than God. They determined that God wasn't good enough. They determined that the commands of God were not important for them. And so they sinned. And sin entered the world, and just as God had said, death was a part of that. They ate of that, and they surely would die. Now, not in the instant, not in the moment, but death would come to them. And death will come to you and I unless Jesus Christ returns to carry us home. So Jesus took on flesh and blood so that he could free us from that. So that he could free us from the wages of sin. Now Romans chapter 5 is a good chapter. If you want to flip there, you can. I'm going to read a couple of verses for you today. Romans chapter 5 verse 12 tells us this. It explains this to us, what we just talked about. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death spread to all men because all sin. Now, you may say, well, wait a minute. It's not fair that, that Adam sinned and we have to suffer the consequences of that. Well, I've got, I've got good news for you. It's, it's not all on Adam. It's on you and I because Adam sinned, Eve sinned, and so do you and I. So there's no one at fault. There's no one to blame for our sin, for the death that, 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 that is in this world today. We are to blame because we are sinners, each one of us that sit into this room. And that came through what? It came through one man. Through one man, sin came into the world, it says. And so if sin can come into the world through one man, who is flesh and blood, then therefore it stands to reason that through one man, who is flesh and blood, that sin can be atoned for. And that is where Jesus comes into the picture. And Paul says so as we continue in Romans chapter 5, verse 17. Since by the one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in the life through the one man, Jesus Christ. And so as bad as death is, as, as crazy as it is that through one man that death was able to enter into this world and sin and all the things that we see, that all came from one man, from one sin. How much more so, how much greater is it then, the grace of God that comes through the one man, Jesus Christ, the Son of God who took on flesh and blood. For what purpose? to free us from the wages of sin. Because we have, we have blown it. Because God demands full obedience to us. God spells out the law to his people and to you and I and Exodus and all of those early books of the Bible. And there's all these laws and we fail at those things day after day after day. And he established this priesthood to atone for the sins by the, goats, uh, by the, by the blood of goats and bulls and all these other animals. And the scripture says, well, that's not sufficient. Why? Because it's the flesh and blood of humanity that has sinned. And so therefore the sacrifice of an animal is not going to be sufficient. But the sacrifice of a man who is flesh and blood, who can do all the things that you and I could not, that is sufficient to pay the price for our sin. That is sufficient to atone for us. And so as one man sinned, and we all sinned, as unfair as that may seem, so through one man died on a cross so that we may be forgiven. And that's unfair too. But that's called grace. And so Jesus came in flesh and blood to be all that we could not be in flesh and blood, 
to atone for our sins that we have committed in our flesh and blood to free us from our ultimate enemy, which is death. So that he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is the devil. And so death is this, is this power that the devil can hold over us with sin because we are always tempted with these sins and our sins always lead to death until Jesus came along. That, that death was always hanging over humanity. That there was no hope. There was, there was some limited atonement that came through these animal sacrifices, but it was not sufficient. And so death always kind of loomed over humanity. And it would loom over humanity until Jesus came and was crucified and resurrected. Now you may say, well, wait a minute. There is still death in the world today. Absolutely there is still death in the world today. But death today does not have the sting that it used to. Because before Jesus Christ, death entered into the picture. And here we have all of God's commands for us in Scripture. And we think, okay, my death is coming. And God has said, do not do these things. And we look back at a lifetime of all the sins we've committed. And at death, we're going to have to stand before the God who told us not to do these things. Well, this is pretty scary. This is the same type of thing that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 56, he says, Now the sting of death is sin. The sting of death is sin. The wages of sin is death, and the sting of death is sin. Because when we die, all of our sin is before us, apart from Jesus Christ. And so death at one time had this sting. It, it was because of the sin that you and I commit. But then Paul goes on to say, because of Jesus Christ, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? There is no more sting because Jesus now holds the keys to death. The scripture says in Revelation chapter 1, verse 18. Jesus holds the keys to death. Jesus died on our behalf and took all of our sins in his death so that through his resurrection, Jesus could say, I will offer forgiveness to you because I have taken your sins. And so death is still part of the picture, but death no longer stings for us in the same way who are in Christ because our sins are atoned for through Jesus Christ. So the sting of death is sin, but where is the sting when our sins have been forgiven? The sting is gone. Back to Hebrews chapter 2. So Jesus destroyed the one holding the power of death. For what purpose we see in verse 15? And free those who are held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. That's an interesting way to put it. Those who are held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. Now, even still today, there's, there's some fear that comes in death, even for those who are in Christ. Now, not always. Some, some say, you know what, I'm ready to die, and I'm good to die, and I'm not afraid of anything. But even still, sometimes when we have that attitude, it's kind of a, kind of a weird thing that I don't know that anybody can experience until they die. And the ones who are dying, well, they experience it, but then they die, and so... There's no way to pass that knowledge on as to what that experience is, is exactly like. But even still sometimes for those who are in Christ, there's a certain, there's a certain fear in death. There's a certain uh, an, an uncertainty 
in death sometimes. Exactly what is this going to look like? What's the transition going to look like? What's it going to be like when I stand before God? What, what is it going to be like in the future compared to what's now? And, 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 and what's all that going to be like? And sometimes even for those in Christ, perhaps, there are sins in our life that we have asked forgiveness for, but yet there is some fear that is still there. Death in general, there's some fear there. A lot of times we like to avoid things that have to do with death. We don't, we don't want to go, we don't want to go to the funeral home when we're 50 and pick out our casket. We don't, we don't want to think about death. We don't want to do our wheels. I don't want to do my wheel because if I do my wheel, I'm going to die. We, there are certain things that we avoid because, because those things are connected with death and we don't want to think about those things as somehow they're going to rush our death. There's some, there's some fear that's there with death. But what we need to remember and be reminded of through the Scripture is that for those who are in Christ, that Jesus frees us from that. That once we have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we need not fear death. Whatever our death may look like, whatever the afterlife may look like, whatever the transformation that takes us from where we are now to where we will be in Christ, whatever that may look like, we need not have any fear because once we have put our faith in Jesus Christ, our sins are forgiven. So therefore, we have nothing to fear in death because that sting that is sin in death has been removed through Jesus Christ who took on flesh to suffer and be all that you could not be. Praise the Lord. And so we need not fear death. We need not fear to go and make funeral arrangements. when we're, That's not going to hasten our death any quicker. We need not fear to do our wills and all these things we avoid. This is part of life. We do these things. Our death will come one day. And whether we are young or we are old, it is nothing to fear. We don't need to avoid the conversation. We need to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and say, through Jesus, I'm no longer a slave to sin. I'm no longer a slave to death. Yes, my death will come, but death is not the end of our life. It is just the beginning of our eternity. Now, whether that will be an eternity with God or whether that will be in separation from God in what we would call hell, well, that's the decision that we have to make. And we have to make that decision on whether we will put our faith in Jesus Christ or not because that's going to be the determining factor. If you have not put your faith in Jesus Christ today, then I've got bad news for you. That sting of death is going to be bad because when you die, your sin will be on your head. But for those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus has cast our sins as far as the east is to the west. By his precious blood, we are made as white as snow. And so we need not fear when we take our last breath, whether it's when we are 40 years old or whether it's when we are 100 years old. There is nothing for us to fear. God will be with us through every step of the way. And when we leave this old world through Jesus Christ, we can be assured that our sins will not follow us into the life to come because they have been nailed to the cross. Verse 16. For it is clear that he does not reach out to help angels, but to help Abraham's offspring. It's kind of an interesting little, little verse in the middle of this. The author had been talking about how, how much greater Jesus is than the angels. And, and here for just a brief second he says, and, and realize that you're greater than the angels. Because even the angels who have sinned have not been forgiven. God does not reach out to help angels, but he does reach out to, reach out to help humanity. He does reach out to help the flesh and blood. He kind of throws that in there in the end of this section here. Verse 17. 
Therefore, he had to be like his brothers in every way so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tested, he has suffered. And has suffered, he is able to help those who are tested. Now, we're not going to talk too much about verse 17 here simply because the author's given us a little preview of what is to come in a, in a couple of chapters, a chapter or two. Because we're going to spend a lot of time talking about the fact that Jesus is the great high priest. Uh, he just gives us a little smidgen of that here. So we're not going to talk much about that today. But he had to be like us in every way. He had to be like us in every way. And what does it say? As he was like us in every way, it says he himself was tested and has suffered. So when we, when we think about Jesus, when we think about our Savior, when we think about the one who was nailed to the cross, the Lord of our life is not one who cannot relate to us. Have you ever had a problem in life and you talk to somebody about it and they have never had a similar problem and they're trying to give you advice or they're trying to help you in some way and you say, you just don't understand. You just don't understand. And that's often true. If there are things in our life that we have never gone through, we cannot understand. And there are certain things that some of us will never go through that others go through. But isn't it reassuring sometimes when you're struggling and you've talked to your friends and you've talked to other people and they're trying to help as good as they can and they're trying to guide you in the Word of God and give you encouraging Word and it just doesn't help because you know they don't understand. And then one day you meet somebody who's been where you are that's been through what you've been through, that in some way, even though their circumstance may be a little different, in some way, they get it. They can say, yes, I've been there. And man, it's good when we find those people because we can begin to talk and we can begin to open up and they can begin to speak into our life and we can begin to speak to them. And it's reassuring. It's restoring. It, it, it helps us to get through the situations that we are going through. And how beautiful is it for us that our Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ, has been tested and suffered just as we are. Now, Jesus hadn't necessarily been in every situation that we have been in, but Jesus has been tested. Jesus has suffered. So he knows what it's like to be tested. He knows what it's like to suffer. Jesus knows what it's like to literally have the weight of the world on his shoulders. Now, sometimes we feel like that. We're having a bad time at work. Maybe there's 12 employees that work under us, and there's some decision that goes on, and we stress about that, what's going to happen here, and we, and we feel like, or we may even say, I've got the weight of the world on my shoulders. No, you don't. You have the weight of one office and 12 employees on your shoulders. Now, not to belittle that. That might be a big weight. That's a, that's a big deal. But Jesus knows full well what it means to literally actually have the souls of all of humanity resting in the balance and to be tested by Satan before Jesus entered into his ministry. And yet Jesus stood firm and did not waver. But he continued to trust in God. Time and time again throughout the ministry, Jesus was obedient to the will of God. He never came about seeking the recognition of man, but he was faithful from beginning to the end, even up to the garden, saying, God, if there's any way, let it pass. But God, not my will be done, but your will be done. And Jesus he was suffering there. He was tested there. He could have given up there, but he didn't. 
and all the way to carrying the cross as far as he could and ultimately being nailed to the cross, Jesus was tested and he was suffering in every possible way. And so today, if you sit on this pew and you say, man, I'm being tested in my life with sin or with struggle or with temptation or with a, a lack of faith or attempting to doubt my faith in God, know that Jesus was tested and he overcame. And so when you say, I don't know if I have the power to overcome, well, you may not and I may not, but I want to tell you today, Jesus does. So you need to go to the one who has the power. You may be suffering today in some great way. You may be tempted to give up. You may think that God doesn't care about you and your friends don't care about you and there's no way out. But I want to tell you today that Jesus was obedient even in his suffering. So we need to be obedient in our suffering. For Jesus, the way out was death. And for you and I, sometimes... The way out of our suffering is death. Sometimes we have this disease or we have a sickness or we have an illness and it's so hard and it's so tough and we pray for healing as a church or we pray for healing in our own life and sometimes God heals and we pray for deliverance but sometimes the deliverance that God gives us is to say your work here is done. Your time here is done. And sometimes the deliverance that we pray for comes in death. For those apart from Jesus Christ, those who don't know the good news of the Bible, that is a scary thing to think, wait a minute, my life is coming to an end? But for those of us who read the Word of God, for those of us who know of Jesus Christ, for those of us who put our hope in something better than this world, we know that Jesus holds the keys to death. And we know that for us, there is no more sting in death. Death may in some ways be a scary thing, but oh, what a beautiful thing the death of the saints of God is, that we are freed from this world. So we have nothing to fear. We put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, one who's been tested as we have and suffered as we have, and he will be there for you today. Maybe you need to seek him today in the midst of your testing and suffering. Maybe today, thinking of your death is something that has brought fear to your life. Well, I want to tell you today, that Jesus died and was resurrected to free you from that fear and to free you from the consequences of death. I hope you have put your faith in him today. Let's pray. God, we come to you. We thank you for your good word. And dear Lord, we are pretty rotten in our flesh and blood, but we thank you for sending Jesus Christ to take on flesh and blood, to be like us, so that just as we have sinned, dear Lord, Jesus Christ could come and be sinless. For all the things that we could not do in our flesh and blood, dear Lord, we thank you that Jesus Christ has done them. From his birth till his death, dear Lord, he did everything we could not do. So, dear Lord, today we share in that victory when we put our faith in him. God, we do not deserve that kind of grace. We do not deserve that your son would suffer the way he did. But yet, God, Jesus did do that. He chose to suffer for us. And so, God, we thank you for the grace that you have given us. And I pray today that each one in this room would find that grace. God, that we would not be overcome by the temptations that are before us and the, and the sufferings that are before us, but today we would find strength in Jesus Christ. God, that we would, not, we would not dread the day of our death, but God, that if there is sin in our life, that we confess it today and know that it has been forgiven. If we are faithful to confess our sins, dear Lord, you are faithful to forgive those sins. So God, I pray that we would do that today, that we would be found faithful 
God, that we would know that through your word that there is no more sting in death, but there is deliverance through Jesus Christ. And I ask these things in Jesus' name.